Okay, good. Let's put our hands together as we welcome Pastor Chai B, our children pastor, to bring us a word this morning. Good morning, church. Even though I'm here, the children church is on. Your children and your grandchildren are all in a good hand of our teams of teachers, dedicated and committed teachers. Right. Just now when Pastor Thomas asked us to say hi and greet, right? Why not we stand up and really greet one another, especially those uh, still sitting down, you just walk there and say, how are you? It's so nice to see you. Isn't it nice to be, to see you, to see one another in the house of the Lord? Yes? It's already one week past, you know, and you are still alive. Amen. Amen. Come on, shall we all stand up and then just greet one another and say, yeah, you can ask, you know, what you have for breakfast? Have you taken your coffee? Where are we going for lunch? That's what fellowship for. Amen. Now we pray. Amen. Father God, we just commit to you, ourselves at this time. We thank you for being who you are in our lives. The Lord, every day we just want to give praise to you when we think of your faithfulness that you have brought us thus far. And Lord, even in the days to come, in the years to come, we can continue to look to you for you are the source of everything. Like even right now, we believe that, Lord, as we set aside time to come into your house to just listen to your word, that you will speak to us. You will minister to us. And, Lord, anoint our ears, our hearts, our eyes, O oh Father, to see your truth and that your truth will bring breakthroughs in our life, in our circumstances, your, your word will bring rama to our soul. Your word will bring hope, will bring strength to each of us today, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are here with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to ask, how many of you were here in this service last week? It can be Saturday, Sunday. Very good. Then you must have heard about James chapter 4, right? Because I was not here. Oops. I was in level one. So let us do some recap what we have learned from James chapter 4. Last weekend, James is asking the believers to repent of their worldliness and turn back to God. He deals specifically on quarrels and fights, slander, self-will, arrogance, and neglect of duty. Today, we will continue with James chapter 5, and my sermon is entitled, The Rich, The Suffering, and The Sick. In today's passage, James began on the misuse of one's wealth. Verse 1, he said, Now listen, you, people, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you, on you. James did not say that it was a sin to be rich. After all, Abraham was a wealthy man, yet he walked with God and was greatly used by God to bless the whole world. What he was concerned about was the selfishness of the rich. So he advised them to weep and will. He gave a few reasons for his 
exaltation. First is the way they got their wealth. They got their wealth by illegal means or for illegal purposes. Now, in the Old Testament, Prophet Amos sent a strong message of judgment against the rich who robbed the poor and used their stolen wealth for selfish luxuries. Prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah also exposed the selfishness of them and warned that judgment is coming. It is in this spirit that James wrote this letter. And he gave two illustrations of how the rich acquire their wealth. First, you can find it in verse 4. He says, look, the wages you fail to pay the workers who mow your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The rich oppressor, they actually fail to pay the workers that they hire when they completed their work. Leviticus 19 verse 13 says, Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. And in Jeremiah 22, it says, Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. And here, James stressed that God noticed and heard the cries of his oppressed people and judgment will come on those employers who have been preoccupied with wealth and oppressed those who work for them. Secondly, is how the rich control the courts. In verse 6, say, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Now, when God established Israel, He gave the people a system of courts in Deuteronomy chapter 17. He warned the judges not to be greedy. They were not to show favoritism to the poor or even fear the rich. No judge was to tolerate perjury. Bribery was condemned by the Lord. But in the courts of James' day were apparently easy to control if you have enough money. So the poor workers could not afford expensive lawsuits. So they were beaten down every time. They were not given justice. Instead, they were abused and ruined. Even until this day, we still see it happening in our world. Maybe some of you are in a similar situation of the workers mentioned in a passage. But let's hold on to the word of God that the day will come when God will step into your circumstances and put things right for you. For he heard, he hears the cries of his people. Secondly, is the way the rich used their wealth. Now, let us be clear again that the Bible never criticizes wealth in itself. But it has sharp things to say about how it is used. For it is wrong to store up wealth when you owe money to your workers. 
Verse 3 says, Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. These rich men James talked about were hoarding the three Gs. They were grain, gold, and garments. They thought they were rich because they had these possessions. These selfish people have hoarded wealth while others suffered in poverty. When James said you have hoarded wealth in the last day, it seemed to be similar in a similar saying of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. The word of God said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Secondly, is how the rich lived in luxury. In verse 5, James says, You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. These are words of terrible warning here. Judgment is coming because of their luxurious and self-indulgence lifestyles. The phrase translated on earth shows they have focused on this world so much so that they are unprepared for the coming judgment. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, there is a great difference between enjoying what God has given us as we read in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, and living extravagantly on what we have withheld from others. Even if what we have has been earned lawfully and in the will of God, we must not waste it on selfish living. There are too many needs to be met. Even in Penang itself, there are people who struggle daily, monthly, or even year every year. They've been struggle. When we don't see these people, it doesn't mean they can't be found in our neighborhood. Luxury has a way of ruining, ruining our character. It is a form of self-indulgence. If you match character with wealth, you can produce much good. But if you match self-indulgence with wealth, the result is sin. Let us take Abraham as an example. He was a rich man, but he maintained his faith and character. When Lot, Lot is was Abraham's nephew, became rich, he ruined his character and his whole family. That's why Psalm 62 verse 10 says, If riches increase, praise the Lord, but set not your heart upon them. 
So to summarize verse 1 to verse 6, we learn that James did not condemn riches or rich people. He was strongly concerned about the wrong gain of riches and the way the rich Christians use their wealth as a weapon and not as a tool with, with which to build. Then there comes a new turning point in our letter at James chapter 5, verse 7. He said to his readers, as in chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, that they must be patient and wait for the Lord's coming. James has already told the believers that the, their cries had reached the ears of God. But although God has heard them, he has not yet done anything. So what must they do? Their answer is, they wait. And they wait patiently. Patience means accepting a difficult situation without giving a deadline to remove it. Patience isn't a matter of denying or trying to hide our feelings. It also isn't a matter of ignoring your circumstances. Patience is a matter of accepting something unchangeable that are beyond our control. In short, patience is to stay put and stand fast when you feel like you want to run away. But the question we must still answer is, how can we as Christians experience this kind of patient endurance as we wait for the Lord to return? So to answer that, James gave three encouraging examples of patient endurance to those who are suffering. First is the example of the farmer. In verse 7 and 8 say, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its variable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now I want to ask, how many of you actually grow plants in your garden? Beautiful. When you put the seeds into the ground, the crop doesn't come immediately. However, you trust that something is happening in the ground where the seed is, although you cannot see what is happening. Now, James used the farmer as example because before any harvest, there must be rain. The early rain generally generally began in late October or early November to soften the soil. Then the later rain will come in the early spring, which is in March, to help the grain to swell to full size ready for harvest time after the end of the wet season. Now, while waiting for the harvest, the farmer doesn't stand around doing nothing. He is constantly at work as he looks toward the harvest. The farmer who hoped for a good harvest had 
to wait right through to the end of the rains. The farmer is patient. And he has reason for patience. He can be patient because he is anticipating a variable harvest. Today, some of us probably are in this season of waiting. Waiting for rain is a kind of suffering. But when the rain comes, you will reap your harvest. God will rain down His blessing upon you. So let us encourage one another to be patient and determined in times of difficulties like the farmer who anticipates the rain and variable harvest because the Lord's coming is near. Now, James knew during suffering time, during waiting time, and during challenging times, people will grumble. We will complain. So he added in verse 9, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. For it is bad enough when circumstances are against us. But it can be even worse when Christians turn against one another. According to James, believers need to be patient and help one another in their faith and refuse to give into grumbling against each other in their suffering. If we stand to grumble against each other, do you know what will happen to us? If we keep on complaining while waiting in suffering, we will miss the harvest. James said, the judge, Jesus is our judge. He is standing at the door. So having this concept of the soon return of Jesus, we will then not be quick to criticize others. We will choose to say more wholesome words than hurting words, especially to our spouse and our children, to our loved ones. For the Lord will judge the good and bad things we have done as well as our good and bad attitudes, which cannot be seen. So brothers and sisters, if you have been mistreated or neglected by families or by friends, God will be your defender. And so let us make a choice today not to complain or to get bitter Remember the word of God in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4 say, The Lord is your mighty defender, perfect and just in all his ways. Your God is faithful and true. He does what is right and fair. The second example James gave is to learn from the prophets. Verse 10 says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, when we read the Old Testament, we know prophets live close to God. They share 
what they have heard from God. But what encouragements do we receive from their examples as we wait patiently in the face of suffering? First, the prophet's encourages by reminding us that God cares for us when we go through suffering. For example, Elijah, Prophet Elijah announced to wicked King Ahab that there would be a drought in the land for three and a half years. And Elijah himself had to suffer in that drought. But God cared for him. And God gave him victory over the evil priests of Baal. It has been said, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Many of the prophets had to endure great trials and sufferings. Not because, not only at the hands of the unbelievers, but at the hands of believers as well. Jeremiah was arrested as a traitor and even thrown into an abundant well to die by fellow Israelites. However, God fed him and protected him throughout that terrible time. It required great patience at times like this. But the important thing is that like the farmer, we keep on working. And like the prophets, we keep on trusting in the word of God. No matter how trying our circumstances may be. And the next example James used to encourage those who are facing trials in life is Job. He said in verse 11, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Job went through many troubles, but the worst of it all was receiving criticism from his friends, his good friends. Even his wives turned against him. Again and again, they accused and slander Job. Job had to endure it without slandering them in the way they slandered him. In studying the experience of Job, it is important to remember that Job did not know what was going on behind the scene between God and Satan. Job's friends accused him of being a sinner and a hypocrite. They said, there must be some terrible sin in your life that you are like this. Oh, God would never have permitted this suffering. You must have committed a terrible sin. Job disagreed with them and maintained his innocence during the entire conversation, which you can, be, you can find it in Job chapter 2. And in the end, God rebuked the friends, for telling lies about Job. It is difficult to find a greater example of suffering than Job. Circumstances were against him, for he lost his wealth and his health. He also lost 
all his beloved children. And it also seemed like God was against him. For when Job cried out for answers to his questions, there was no reply from heaven. Yet, Job endured. Even though Job did not understand all that God was doing, he knew God has higher purposes in his suffering than the punishing of sin. This is endurance. When we find ourselves in the furnace of life, let us not running around frantically looking for help, but let us go to the throne of grace for in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the word of God says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weaknesses. Allow God to work out His purposes in His time and for His glory in our lives. And as we read on in James chapter 5 verse 12, it seems to be out of place. For what does swelling have to do with the problem of suffering? It says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear. Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. If words are a test of character, then swearing would indicate that there is yet work to be done. A person who must use many words, including oaths, to convince us has something wrong with his or her character. James encourages us to let our yes be yes and let our no be no. Just be truthful in what you say and be sincere in the commitments you made. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Next, James continues to encourage us to pray by describing a few situations in which God answers prayers. In verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. First is a prayer for the suffering. What should we do when we find ourselves suffering in difficult situations? We must not grumble and criticize the other believers who are having an easier time of it. Nor should we blame God. We should pray as told in James chapter 1, verse 5, asking God for the wisdom we need to understand the situation and use it to His glory. When we pray, when God's people pray, it moves troubles, if that is God's will. Prayer can also give us the grace we need to endure trials for God, because God can transform your troubles into triumphs. He does not allow any trouble to come that is not 
within his control. Today, what you are facing could be a threat to your security, something to do with money or safety. It could be something emotional or psychological. Failure, depression, or stress. It may be something to do with your health. But whatever the trial, it is an invitation to prayer. We can turn to God. Praying to Him when we are suffering and praising Him when we are happy. Then James moved on to the prayer for the sick in verse 14 to 16. He said, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Here, James also concerned with those who are suffering from sickness. He commanded those who are sick to seek prayer from the elders of the church. James also assured them of the benefits of the prayer of faith. Not only God will heal the sick, but He will forgive their sin as well. Although James does not contend that sin is always the cause of illness, he does indicate that if the sick have sinned, their sin will be forgiven. For God not only heals the outward symptoms of sicknesses, He also heals us inwardly. However, we must pray in faith so the Lord will raise us up and forgive our sin. James also encouraged the disciples to confess their sin to one another and pray for one another so that they may be healed. He assured them of the energizing power of prayer at the end of verse 16. He said, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James illustrated the effectiveness of the prayer of a righteous man with the example of Elijah. He said in verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Elijah prayed earnestly. Literally means he prayed with prayer. And God answered him with his sovereign power. First, drought. And then, rain. Elijah was not any superheroes. He was a normal human being like the rest of us. But he prayed with prayer. He earnestly persevered in crying out to God. And God answered his prayer. D.L. Moody said, once wrote, 
Though we may not live to see the answer to our prayers, if we cry mightily to God, the answer will come. Reverend E. M. Bao said, Prayers are deathless. The lips that utter them may be closed in death. The heart that felt them may have ceased to beat. But the prayers live before God, and God's heart is set on them. And prayers outlive the lives of those who utter them, outlive a generation, outlive an age, outlive a world. Fortunate are they whose fathers and mothers have left them a wealthy patrimony of prayer. As parents myself, we always think of when we pass on, what will we be giving or leaving for our children? It's nothing wrong to prepare that. But most of us will think, oh, should I leave some houses? Cash? Share? How many of us will pray now for our children? to leave them a wealthy patrimony of prayers. Do we only pray for our children when they are having exams? Do we only pray for our children when they are sick or when they are looking for jobs or when they are looking for wives or husbands? Let us pray. Shower them with lots of prayer because prayers are deathless. Let us pray earnestly if you are in the midst of trial. And do not be discouraged. For the Lord who could open and shut the heavens for Elijah has promised to do great things for you today. Not tomorrow or next year, but today when we call upon his name in prayer. What more? The Lord said in Hebrews chapter 4, we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, if James urged us to pray for those who are, in, who are suffering and the sick, surely we must pray for our brothers and sisters who wander from the truth. Although James did not specifically Name prayer in the last two verses. He said, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. James encouraged believers to bring back 
those who have wandered from the truth. Wandering from the truth is departing from the truth of the gospel and living in a way that is contrary to Christians' teaching. When we see a brother or a sister is slowly drifting away from the truth, we should not only pray, which we always do. Rather, we must also seek to help them out. It is important that we seek to win the lost. But it is also important to win the safe. You know, after I became a Christian, I faced a lot of persecution from my home, especially my mom. And I couldn't join the ICA, the youth group, or even attend any church service. Last time, we only have one service on Sunday, 10 o'clock. We do not have three services like now. So for a period of time, my heart was slowly moving away from God and from the church friends. It is very easy for young Christian or even Christian who are 10 years Christian, 20 years, 30 years Christian, that our hearts are drifting away from the truth. It is so easy. If not because of the pastors and if not because of the leaders of my time to continue to trouble me, to call me, I don't think I'll be here today. Even in this service itself, how many Christians do you know have wandered away from God without you realizing it? It's easy. It is so easy to wander away in this congregation because the hall is so big. Or maybe it is you whose heart has drifted away. You may be found here physically, but your first love has left you. No one is an island. No one is to do it alone in a journey of faith. When someone is sick, let the leaders be called to pray with that person. Where there is need for confession of sin, let the members share their burdens with one another and pray for one another. And when someone turns away from the Lord, James urged us, the believers, the fellowship, to minister to that person, to bring him or her back into the house of God. Church, God gives us the responsibility to minister to one another in the faith in such a way that He may use us to keep them from eternal destruction. It is Christian ministering to backsliding Christians with love, with grace, with patience, and with the truth of God. We can be God's channel of love. No matter how young you are in the Lord or how young you are 
physically, or how old you are. God can use you as His channel of love to bring them back into His presence again. Because remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I'm sure this was happening in the early church. That's why James chose to end his letter with this last verse. Remember this. He's asking us, not just come into the presence of God by yourself, but remember those who have been wandered away from the truth. Those who have wandered away from the truth can be your children, can be your parents, can be your best friends. When I first joined Christian Fellowship, four of us came, three left. I stayed because somebody pulled me back into back to God. So as James said, remember this. We have a mission today to turn a sinner from their error ways back to God. And in conclusion, in this last chapter, James addresses three things, three main things. He pronounces to the rich oppressors of the Christians that their judgment is coming in the day of the Lord. He urges, he urges those suffering under that oppression to remain patient, strong in their faith as they wait for the day of the Lord. And he encourages all Christians to show their faith in God by praying in response to every circumstance. Though these letters were written to believers in the early church, they resonate with us today. As we close, it is fitting to end with the emphasis on prayer. Let us ask God to focus our hearts and mind on things above and not in the situation or not in the suffering you are in right now. May it be your economical, economic situation, emotional state, or even your spiritual life. Let us ask God to help us to be patient in this very moment as we know our lives and future are in His mighty hand and in His ultimate control. For the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God hears the earnest prayers of His people. Who are the righteous people? We are. Those of us who have called upon the name of the Lord. So we can come to the throne of grace and ask, earnestly ask from the Lord in every prayer request you have. And not to come to Him with guilt, with condemnation. Don't forget Christ has set us free. Christ has died on the cross and He has clothed you with the cloth of righteousness. And by the blood of the Lamb, we are made righteous. And so when we call upon the name of the Lord, your prayer is powerful. Your prayer is effective. So today, it may be God wants you to pray for yourself to come up from the oppression from your bosses, 
It may be God wants you to pray and stand in the gap for those who have wandered away from the truth. And today, God wants you to pray and believe that your prayer will move mountains, your prayer will move the hand of God in your hopeless situation. So, let us learn to call upon the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. And as we close, we want to just worship the Lord with this song. Every time we pray, we move the hand of God. And as we pray and as we worship the Lord, I want all of us just to stand up to our feet and raise our hand as a sign of surrendering. All of us need prayer because we are people, we are needy people. We need God to intervene. We need God to intervene in our lives, in our marriage, in our studies, in our work. We need God in our relationship. But let us start with prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. We open our hearts to the Lord and our mind to you, O oh Father. Lord, we will pray. We will pray like never before, God. Oh, pour out your anointing right now, God, upon your church as we call upon you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.